invite you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 this morning. To Exodus chapter 14. While you're turning there, I want to ask you the question, have you ever faced an impossible situation in your life? Have you ever felt like you were between a rock and a hard place? Where whichever way you went, it was going to hurt, it was going to be bad, it was going to be its like you didn't know which way to go. The Israelites, not long after being set free from slavery and bondage in Egypt, found themselves in an impossible situation. They had followed the Lord. They had followed the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and found themselves with the Red Sea in front of them and the grand army of the Egyptians hot on their heels. A rock in a hard place. A place where there was no way. A place of impossibility, a place of despair, where it seemed like there was no way out. This morning I want to encourage you because it's in those times of impossibility that God shows up. There really is no place in which There is nowhere to go, not with our God. Because our God is not the God of the possible. He's the God of the impossible. He does things that defy sometimes our own logic and our own reason. He does things that defy the universe. Why? Because He creates and sustains the universe. The Israelites faced an impossible situation and you and I, sometimes we do feel like we get in places or situations that it's impossible. And I want to encourage you this morning from our, from our lesson, from God's Word, how we, re, how we should respond when we face impossible situations. Let's read and. This morning we, we really looked in our um, gospel project, and again, uh, just a plug for that, if you're not in a small group, in one of these gospel project groups, you're only getting like, as Paul Harvey said, you're only getting like half the story, okay? Uh, if all you're coming is, is to, to the sermon, the small groups, man, we're digging in, and this I feel like uh, in, our, in our messages, we're springboarding off and going further. So I want to, I want to encourage you, and in our lesson this morning, we actually... We're talking about chapters 13, 14, and 15. This morning in the message, we're going to zero in on chapter 14 and just these verses in 10 through 18. And God's Word says, if you look with me, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. 
For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we come before you. You are the God of impossible situations. And Lord, you make, you make a way where there is no way. You showed up in a mighty way with the Israelites here at the crossing of the Red Sea. And Lord, we know you are still the same God. And that you are still guiding and leading your people and you are still guiding and leading us today and and doing miracles and doing the impossible. Lord, help us to have the faith to trust you even in difficult times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How should we respond to situations that seem impossible? Number one, get over your fear. Get over your fear. In verses 10 through 12, it tells us, and even the, the context, people were afraid. And, and not without reason. Who was coming after them? Pharaoh and his army. And, and he didn't just send the scrub troops, as we studied in our lesson this morning. He, picked six, he sent his 600 choice chariots. And that would be like his special forces, the army rangers sending them in, the Navy SEALs, as well as all the other chariots of Egypt. Now, Egypt was, at this point in history, they were unmatched. They had military superiority when they showed up. These chariots, that was like an M1 Abrams tank for the ancient world. It's vastly superior. I mean, you, it was like, if you had a chariot, it was like 100 to 1 ratio. I mean, you, you, could, you could go in and just, you know, they, you, you would have archers on chariots. Uh, you had speed. You had power. You could just blow through lines of armies. They would put spikes on the end of the chariot wheels, just cutting through. I mean, it was just, it was a powerful weapon. Pharaoh sent 600 of his best, plus all the other ones he had. The Israelites sensed certain doom in either direction. With the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh on the other. And even in the midst of this, what is God's message to Moses for the people? Do not be afraid. 
We must get over our fear. And notice what, what the Israelites did, though, in the, out of their fear. And that's, we, we do the same thing. We're, sometimes we like to think we're better than the Israelites or we wouldn't make the same dis- mistakes as they would. But we, we, we fall into the same things. Notice what they do. First, they, it says they, uh, they cried out to the Lord um, in verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, which when we, we see that on the first hand, we say, okay, that's the right thing to do, right? When, when sensing your fear. But we see they're crying out to the Lord, but we really see where their faith is. Their faith is very weak because crying out to the Lord is like, four or five words, and then the very next few verses, it's all chocked with showing how weak their faith actually is, because what, what is the first thing they do? They point their finger. And that would be really the first, like, encouragement in getting over your fear. Don't point your finger. If you're going to point your finger, where should you point it? What did mama say? What, well, I don't know what your mama said. If you, yeah, right, she'd be pointing at you. <laughs> so if, you, if you're going to point your finger at someone, who are you supposed to point it to? Yourself, yeah. But where did the Israelites do? They jumped right onto Moses. Their very first reaction when it came upon a time of fear was they criticized their spiritual leadership. This is an instance of spiritual warfare right here. The very first instance of spiritual warfare is when you are criticizing and blaming your spiritual leadership. And that's exactly what they did. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Moses following the Lord? Yeah, he was. Had Moses communicated to the people God's word when God spoke to him? Yeah, he did. Had God done everything he had said? Did, did God keep His word? Who were the people supposed to be blaming? Nobody. Nobody. They were in a difficult situation, but they were exactly where God wanted them to be. They were actually in the center of God's will. Sometimes we can complain and point fingers because things are difficult, and yet that's exactly where God wants us to be at that time. We already saw in our, in our lesson this morning, we already saw God didn't send them the quickest point to the promised land, did He? The quickest point between point A and point B. He didn't take them the route by the sea where the Philistines were, where it was heavily fortified. God intentionally led them. They followed the cloud. They followed the pillar of fire and they ended up in this spot where they didn't. there was no way to go. But God had a plan. But notice how tough they were on Moses. They questioned Moses so hard here. They questioned him. First they said, look in verse 11. They said to Moses, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They questioned Moses' motives. Surely... God, Moses, if you had let us out here, you must hate us because it would, to just to lead us out here to die. They questioned his motives. They questioned his competency. Then their very next question is, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? They questioned his, 
his competency and leadership. You've, uh, Moses, you've obviously made the wrong decision. Now, let, let, me, ask, let me ask you this. And, and then finally, they question his calling. Because they said, didn't we tell you in Egypt, leave us uh, alone? They question Moses' in his motive. They question his competency as a, as a leader and as God's man. And they, they question his very calling that God had called him to lead the people of Israel. Okay? So let me, ask you the, let me ask you the question. How did the people end up from being in Egypt to being in that, in that spot there right by the Red Sea? How did they get there? Okay, well, they, you know, they... They actually, it was part of God's plan that they ended up in Egypt as a people to begin with. It was part of God's plan. How they got to that specific point, they were following the cloud. And they were following the pillar of fire. Let me ask you this. Was Moses the only one who could see the cloud and could see the pillar of fire with his special glasses? Was he the only one? Was he the one, like, he would go out and say... Okay, I think we're supposed to go this direction today. And so then they hitched up. No. Who saw the pillar of fire and saw the cloud? Everybody. The whole congregation of the people of Israel. So in the end, it was each individual Israelite's responsibility to find God and to follow Him. And it was clear and unmistakable. So they they found themselves in a situation. Who are they really questioning and doubting and criticizing and pointing their finger at right here? They were pointing them at God. (coughs) Heaven help us when we, we, we fall into the same trap and temptation when maybe things aren't going right in our, in our lives or in our family or in our Sunday school class or in our church, maybe things aren't going to our liking, and we pull out this guy right here, this laser pointer. And you're not supposed to look at laser pointers in your eye. Don't look, stare into a laser. You'll get blind. We point this thing out. Boom. Who are we really blaming? It's real quiet in here. We've got to be real careful before we pull out that laser pointer. Because if we're not careful, we're really blaming God. Instead of following Him in faith. And when we pull that laser pointer out, that's evidence that we're acting out of fear. We're not acting out of faith. We're, We're pointing out and blaming because we're afraid. We think there's no way forward, there's no way out, there's no, it's not going to get better in my life or my family or whatever, and it's your fault. So I want to, our first challenge in overcoming our fear, put your, put your finger away. Y'all ready? Maybe that's a New Year's resolution. We need to put it down. But the second part to that, don't forget the way things really used to be. Don't forget the way things really used to be. Notice, what, what did they jump back to and, and think about how great things were? 
Everything, you know, that whole slavery thing, that was awesome. It was so much better when we were slaves. I mean, at least, at least when we died in Egypt, we get like a proper burial. You know, we, but now we're going to just die out here in the wilderness. What did they forget? The good old days weren't always that good. Can I get an amen on that? We've been um, uh, on one of the greatest things to come to Netflix in this last year. They're always adding stuff, and then they take stuff away from you. You know, it's always changing. But on Netflix right now, they have the whole Andy Griffith show on there. I mean, the good ones, the, the black and white version of the Andy Griffith show. Can y'all do it? Can you snap? Can you, are you picturing Opie walking with his little fishing rod right now, right? Can you see it in your mind? Mayberry. I grew up not too far from Mayberry. Like, Mount Airy was right down the road, you know. And uh, in my home state, we have a statue to Andy Griffith. I mean, all of that. And we watch these shows and we look at how great things were, how great Mayberry was, and everybody knew each other, and they all sort of kind of got along, and Barney had his one little bullet, and he'd shoot himself in the foot or whatever, you know, and Thelma Lou's, and, and all of that. And we kind of we sometimes think in our minds, man, man, weren't things great back in the day? Can I, can I give you a newsflash? Mayberry is not real. Mayberry was never real. Mayberry was shot on a studio lot in Southern California, thousands of miles away from the Carolinas. There was nothing real about it. And sometimes when we get motivated by fear, we, 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 we want to try to go back and go backwards and say, well, things were so good back then, back when we had black and white TV. It was, it was so good, and we had rabbit ears, and you, you had to lean a certain way and put tinfoil on the thing and, and, and all of that. Things weren't always that great back then. We've always had trial. We've always had trouble. We've always faced situations. And to be honest, even if we could, we could never go back. Marty McFly and Doc did not invent the time machine, and we cannot go back. Amen? Amen. We can't go back. What must we do? Them facing facing an Facing, we can't go backwards. We have right now, this moment, this instant. We live in the here and now. And we face exciting times and challenging times. And we can't get overwhelmed by the fear of the unknown, of the opposition, of challenges, all of that. We can't. We've got to learn to face our fears. And that gets us to our second point is in handling impossible situations, we must stand firm in our faith. Moses tells, God tells Moses, tell the people, 
stand firm in the face of the most powerful army in the world. These people who have been slaves. Now, we talked about, uh, we talked about they, were, they were equipped, the Israelites were equipped as an army. But like, you guys have served in the, you, many men in this room have, have military service. Does handing a guy a rifle make him a soldier? Does lining guys up, does that mean you have an army? No, what do you, what do you need to do? Man, it takes, it takes years of training, of, of uh, your, you know, your basic training and maneuvers and all these things that you go through training and time and uh, experience in order to work as a cohesive unit and actually like stand a chance in battle. It's not about numbers. You could have the largest army in the world, but if you're, you're not trained, it's, it's worthless. It's actually worse for you because chaos assumes and it, all kinds of bad stuff happens to you. The Israelites, they weren't disciplined. They weren't trained. They'd never fought in a battle before. And yet God told them to stand firm. Stand firm in a situation in which their first internal reaction is not to fight, but to flee. Yes. I mean, I mean run as, as far as you could, as fast as you could. Here in, um, look down in verse 13. He says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Have we seen that before in Scripture? Fear not. All throughout Scripture, God is telling us and telling His people over and over and over again, fear not. Why? Because we're so easy to get afraid. Fear not. This particular construction of this phrase to fear not is a negative imperative. It's the strongest possible way in which we can express do not be afraid. The strongest possible way. There's the Fletcher translation. When facing your fear, when facing an impossible situation, don't panic. There was a time when um, Amy and I were first parents. We brought Eden home from the hospital, a little bundle of joy. When you're first parents you, and there's new life, you are watching every, like, I don't think Amy slept for the first six months. I think she stayed with one eye open, watching to make sure that Eden did not miss one breath in the middle of the night. I'm pretty sure. And right before Eden turned one, she was kind of, I, I don't know if she was like pulling up, she was kind of like first walking kind of stages, kind of that, that time frame. And um, she, she's advanced. I mean, she's awesome. And it was one of those points like, you know, they make it about a year and you're like, okay, this kid's going to live. You know, we can kind of like take a nap now, like close our eyes, 
15 minutes at a time or something. And it was one of those points in which, rarely, but neither one of her parents had eyes on her. She was in the living room, maybe we were in the bedroom or something, and we, we heard something ha- we heard something happening in the living room, and we ran in there, and our one and only daughter, our life was choking. And guess what? We, d- we did not react out of faith and stand firm. Guess what we did? We panicked. The fear of the living God came over me, and actually more me, I think, than Amy. I was smacking that child's chest. I probably bruised her. Whatever she was choking on, I was going to get it. You know, and you're, and you're doing the thing, like, I don't, even, I don't even know if I was slapping her chest and, like, cramming my finger down her throat to try to get it. I'm, I'm work, working both sides here. My daughter is cannot breathe. I'm yelling at Amy, call 911. And I'm patting and cramming, patting in that poor, the poor child. I mean, I don't know how she survived it. But then we realize where we're living at the time, it's a 25-minute ride for EMS to get to you. Well, that was clear to me. My baby's going to be dead in 25 minutes. And so we're thinking, okay, we're rushing ER. Throw in the car. Okay. By that point, I don't know what it was, but she was sucking her thumb. She was just happy as a clam. She's like, what's going on? You almost died. We, we rushed her. We rushed her. We made her. We, we, we thought, well, surely she must have choked on something major. She couldn't breathe. We went to the ER. They did x-rays. We watched for stuff. Absolutely nothing. That poor child was choking on her own spit. <laughs> Mike's laughing. He's, he's, he's been there, done that. What had I just done? I had made, I had made a mountain out of a molehill. I had acted out of Fear, not out of faith. I, I didn't have all the. I was, that's, that's a young parent mistake that you make. You think, oh, they'll live now, right? There's, and then the poor second one. You know, the first child gets all the attention. The second child, you're like, ah, you know, shake it off. Yeah, you'll live. Oh, there's a little dirt on that. Oh, that's fine. Just blow on it. You know, eat it. God has called us to stand, stand firm. To stand firm in our faith. To not, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because God is bigger than anything we face. Amen? We say that, but do we really believe that? Is God really bigger than the boogeyman, whoever he is in our lives? He's called us to not be afraid. He's called us to stand Firm and standing firm is is the idea in um, in the ancient world military. Um, it was none of this drone stuff or airstrikes or anything. Fighting was very visceral. It was very man to man. You looked your enemy in the eyes. 
I'm not just picking Chris out. Chris could take me like any day he wanted to. He's the, the you know, a gentle giant though. He could do it. And um, but you you stood man to man. You fought man to man. And it was very important for each warrior what? Not just the armor they had on or the sword or the spear in their hand, but what was most important? None of that meant anything. You could go out in total body armor, but if you slipped off your feet, guess what? You're dead. You're done. In fact, it's all part part of the, the strategy in ancient warfare was to get your opponent off his feet, then you got him. The enemies, our spiritual enemy, his strategy is the very exact same thing, isn't it? To get us off of our feet. To get us, to get us instead of being firmly planted in Christ, our identity, our hope, our security is in Him, no matter what storms are going on, no matter what the stock market's doing, no matter what the president's doing or saying or Congress or any of that, no matter what ISIS is doing, that our strength is not in all those things going on around us, but our, our, our foundation is set in God Himself. And in Him, he is our, if He is our rock, then guess what? Nothing can throw you off balance. Nothing can knock you off of your feet. You can only stand firm and stand strong in Him. And, and, and our parallel passage here, if, if you want to look at this, is in Ephesians chapter 6. I want to preach the whole chapter of Ephesians chapter 6 in spiritual warfare. You need to study that passage. Some of you, if you're dealing with fear or insecurity or... If you're dealing with just a spiritual battle in your home, you need to keep Ephesians 6 like in your daily prayer time. But there at the end, and Paul goes through, I mean, he goes goes through all this about spiritual warfare and all the armor you're to put on and and trust in God. But he says, Ephesians 6.13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, which, um, you know, newsflash, every day is full of evil. The day of evil is now. It's today. It's not coming in the future. When the day of evil comes, you may, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to what? Stand. Not in your own strength or your own power, but by Him. Now, how does a believer stand? By believing. By trusting placing our faith in Him. So I want to challenge you. Stand. Do not be afraid. Standing firm in your faith, do not be afraid. Stand firm, planted in Him. Here's here's another thing. Beautiful picture. Ancient warrior, firmly planted. His feet are secure. He's got his sandals on. They've got spikes in them. He's not moving. He's very secure. He's standing his ground. Okay? What happens if in, the, in his army or unit or whatever, he's the only one standing? How strong is that unit? Yeah, it's not very, yeah, it's not very strong at all, Brother Bobby. But imagine you take him, and he's firmly planted. And then you take the man next to him, and the man next to him, 
and the man next to him. And you've got a line that's firmly planted. There is no more strength. You know, there's strength with ourselves and God, and that's all the strength we need. But then if you take and multiply that strength by your brother and by your sister in Christ, how exponentially that firmness stands. We're stronger together when each one of us are firmly rooted and firmly grounded with the Lord. We put on our spiritual armor. We're ready to fight the battle. Is that not true? Think about I mean, just, just think about it. If you were, you know, if... Um, I mean, we, in, in, our, in our normal life, it's the middle of the night, and we hear a crash in the backyard. A big crashing sound. And after repeated attempts, your wife finally wakes you up and says what? You need to go out there. I'm, I'm not saying this has ever happened to me before. Just hypothetical. This is hypothetical. You need to go out there. It's dark. Daric. I've used that term before. That's a technical term for it's even more dark than normal. Like it, the dark sucks. You could take a flashlight out there and Daric sucks the flashlight out of your hand with the force or whatever. I mean, you can't even see anything. Your heart's beating when you're by yourself. But imagine when you don't go alone into the darkness. When you're not alone. How does that change the whole situation? Huge! You can't even quantify it. Seriously? And we're in a spiritual battle, y'all. We're in a spiritual battle. Sometimes we don't even, we don't even recognize we're in a battle. We don't even, we're, not, we're too distracted and busy to even realize Satan is on the prowl seeking who he's going to devour and pick us off one by one. And one of the greatest things he knows, and I've preached this before, so this is one of my little soapboxes, he knows that if he can get us alone, he can take us down. Because there's strength in numbers. There's strength in the family. There's strength when we are together and united And instead of tearing one another down, we're doing what? Building each other up. Yeah, exactly. That's what the family of God is supposed supposed to be. Not not just to, which I love fried chicken, and I can't wait for for the first batch of Pastor Mark Hopkins macaroni pie that comes out of this brand new kitchen over there that I'm walking through right now, and it's, it's just bare, bare walls. But I know heaven is coming. And that's great. And that's going to be a wonderful day. And all God's people said together, Amen. Right, yeah, that's going to be a wonderful day. But man, we're in, we're in a spiritual battle. And we're only as strong as we stand together. That helps us when we stand together. That helps us overcome what? The fear. So. If, if we look, these are the imperatives that Moses tells us. He tells the people, do not fear, stand firm. And then he tells us another imperative here, a command. 
He tells us to stand still. He tells the people, just stand still and watch. See what God's going to do. Now think about this. If I told you right now, freeze. Cameron, freeze. You cannot move. Don't, Don't even blink. You just move. Alexis is out. You're out. See how hard that is? He's, you still haven't blinked. Ah, there you go. I got him. I got him. Thanks, Cameron. But, man, sometimes the hardest thing to tell somebody to do is to sit still. And once, as soon as you say sit still, what do you want to do? You've got the squirmies. <laughs> especially in church, man. Especially church is like the easiest place to get the squirmies. Man, you just want to move. So telling a kid to sit still... It's, it's simple, right? You would think. You would think. Yet sometimes God has to tell us, don't be afraid. Stand firm in your faith. And just stand still. Sometimes we get ahead of God. Remember, they were in this situation, but hadn't God planned it? Wasn't this part of God's plan? What would have happened? You know there's probably some people in there that were going, okay, let's form a line. Okay, let's, let's try to make a noise. Or maybe let's get the women and children back over here. Right? Maybe there was a little bit of maybe some, I don't know, maybe a little chaos or panic going on. Like, what are, what are we going to do? Right? Sometimes our reaction out of fear causes more problems. Isn't that true? Sometimes it can. Sometimes we have to hear the voice of the Lord say, what in the Psalms? Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we've just got to rest in Him. We live in a world and we live in a time that is so busy. So busy. And we let other things and other people tell us what our schedule is going to be and what we're going to do. And I, I see you guys, man. I see you right now. I know some of you, like I can see... If I could see into your brain, I could see you're going 100 miles an hour. And right now, you can't even really rest because you're worried about all the things you've got to do tomorrow. It's huge. What does the Bible say about tomorrow? Yeah. Is it tomorrow? Tomorrow's got enough to worry about. So look at the birds. Look at the lilies. That's what Jesus said. Do they worry? Do they stress out? Do they sit there and panic? No? The birds aren't even panicking over this. They're, they're reading about global warming and all this climate change. and all. Are they panicked about it as we are? They're not. Nope. They're getting along just as they always have. I think in some ways they trust our Creator more than we do. 
Sometimes we've got to just rest in Him. And that means sometimes as a people, we've, we're so busy, we're so active, we're so pulled in so many different directions, we've got, we don't know how to rest in Him. Is that true? And I, I need to stand up here as a, as a pastor and minister of the gospel. And, and I need to say this. Sometimes, sometimes the church can suck the rest out of you. Sometimes we can make things so busy that it's like, where is the rest coming from? Am I right? Yeah. So in facing, in facing impossible situations, we've got to get over our fear. We've got to, we've got to put, the, put the blame game down. We've got, to, you know, we've got to get away from that level of it. We've got to stand firm in our faith. Firm in our faith means that we're, we're trusting our faith that overcomes fear, that we're standing firm in Him, and that we're standing still. We're resting in Him. And this is a daily thing. Some of you guys, this year, 2016, will be an awesome year to say, okay, I'm going to make resting with God my number one priority. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to take each day and make sure I've got time. Because there's, there's millions of things that I've got to do. But I can't do the millions of things that I'm supposed to do if I'm not resting with the Lord. Maybe this is the year you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm spending time with you to hear from you, to pray with you, to meditate on you and your word. This is the year. Now imagine, imagine how different the battle goes when instead of acting out of fear, we're acting out of faith. Instead of, instead of not being sure, we're firmly planted in Him, firmly planted together. Imagine instead of running in all kinds of different directions, our hearts are completely in tune with God. Is that a place you want to be? Is that a place you want to live? I tell you, that's the place God designed us to live. And He died so that we could live there. So that we wouldn't wouldn't just survive this life, that we could thrive in this life and grow and become what He has created us to be. And when we do that, when we come to that place and we're firmly rooted in Him, we're connected with Him, and our faith is strong and sure in Him, Then we can do the last thing. Number three, watch God get the glory. Watch God get the glory. Here at the Red Sea, this is formative. The story could have ended with the Passover plague and the, the Israelites getting to get out of Egypt. And they're on their way to the promised land. It could have ended there. And we just keep on moving. But God wasn't done. God wasn't done. And here he performs the greatest miracle of all, even greater than the one he had done before. And all the ones he had done before that. Greatest miracle in this this story, the crossing of the Red Sea. 
Here you have two impossible situations for the Israelites. God could have picked any way to deliver the Israelites from this. He could have caused a fog to come down. There's different things in Scripture. You've got uh, Gideon and the Midianites, and you know Gideon and his guys. You know they break the lanterns and they blow the trumpets, and the, uh, the Midianites get, you know get scared off and start killing one another. There are all kinds of different ways that God uses throughout Scripture. He, he could have done any kind of miracle he wanted to, or saved them any way he wanted to. He did, he did it this way to make it abundantly clear who he was and what he was about. At the crossing of the Red Sea, there would, there would be no story that said the Israelites defeated the Egyptians at the Red Sea. Did the Israelites pick up one bow or one spear? Did they lift one sword against the Egyptians here? Did they have to fight any part of this battle? Not one. There wasn't even like a little like, there wasn't like even like a crack team that said, we'll, if, you know, if Hollywood was making this, they'd say, okay, we'll go slow them down so you can all be saved. There's none of that. And it wasn't even set up, God was doing this miracle that it it wasn't even set up that that you could even say, Moses and the Israelites defeated the Egyptians. What did Moses do? He just just did what, what God told him to do. All he did was pick up his staff. How hard is that? I'm going to do, this is my staff. Is that hard? I could preach, I could preach from here all day. Actually, it'll start to get, start, I'll get tired here in a minute. I can't even do that. That can get hard. That's easy! Who alone gets the glory? God does. Who alone fights the battle? God does. Do you know where we're told to fight the battle? We're told to fight the battle on our knees. And fighting the battle on our knees means that we're calling out for the only one who can fight the real battle. And not to skip to the end, but guess what, guys? He's already won the battle. So no matter what you're facing right now, no matter what 2016 holds, good, bad, challenging, easy, he's already won the victory. How does that change where we started from? How does that change an impossible situation? With man, this is, imp- this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible.
Would you stand with me as we close this morning? Just want to challenge you. New year. New day. New time. Time where the former things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Time in which we can take stock. Say, God, I'm not going to react out of fear. I'm not going to be ruled by my fear. I'm going to follow in faith and trust you to do the impossible. If you're in a situation right now that you feel like isn't, you came in this morning and you'd say, Pastor, this, this is impossible. This is a harder rock than I've ever faced before. I don't even know what to do. I want to encourage you to give it over to the Lord. And giving that thing over to the Lord means you let Him decide in His time and His way. Giving it over to the Lord means you're not going to run that thing through your head. You're not going to lose one more ounce of sleep over that thing. It's His. And that may be something you have to consciously decide to give over every day as Satan tries to put that thing back on your back or put that burden back on your shoulders and say, no, I've given this over to the Lord. It's His. He's, he's already won the victory. I want to encourage you this morning, this time of invitation, give it over to Him. Let's start this year with Him in faith. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank You so much that we can call out to You. Lord, You miraculously saved the Israelites. There was absolutely no doubt to Your power and Your glory and Your might and Your love for Your people and justice. Lord, You saved them through the sea. Lord, You have, you have saved us. Saved us from death itself. And Lord, we like the Israelites stand on the other side of a shore looking back and thinking, God, how could you possibly do that? Because of your great love. And we give you all the praise and honor and glory today. And Lord, in this time of invitation, God, I just pray that we would center our heart and center ourselves on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Mark, would you lead us? Amen.